Well, hey, good morning, everyone. I hope everybody's having a wonderful day. It's beautiful outside. Um, and today we get to do an awesome, another goose view. And this is one of those tough talks that we've get. And it's, it's mostly outlined here with uh, women and leadership. And I have the distinct privilege of bringing in my vice commander, Colonel Erica Deuce Robbie, to be sitting with me here to have this conversation. Thanks so yeah. much for joining me today. I yeah, appreciate it. You bet. Yeah. So you are a fourth generation airman, correct? Correct. Yeah. Sitting as the 11th wing vice commander. Um, and your husband, Colonel Nate Robbie, he is actually stationed in the 363rd Intelligence Surveillance and Reconnaissance Wing. And yeah. he is also a vice commander down there, correct? He is, yeah. So you two have found a path that uh, is, frankly, some something that all of us can emulate towards. And so um, I'm stoked to be able to to get you on. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Where, sure. where are you from? Where'd you grow up? So anybody who knows me knows that I'm a very proud Buckeye. So I hail from the, the Buckeye state of Ohio. Uh, family moved there when I was four uh, and my mom still lives there today. So uh, Fairborn, Ohio is my hometown. And I went, went to school K through 12 and um, then eventually went to The Ohio State University through the ROTC program. So um, that is my hometown. That's where I'm from and, and grew up. And it's an awesome place to grow up because it, it may be a small town, but you got big cities all around with lots of stuff to do. Right. Um, it's just a good, a good place to kind of build your platform and your roots to, to build up on. So I'm very proud that I'm from Fairborn, Ohio. That's awesome. I was, uh, I was stationed out at Dayton for two years and I just loved it. I, you know, from a kid from Wisconsin, go big 10. Go big uh, 10. uh, I just love the four seasons, yeah. the four seasons that are there. Yeah. So, well, thank you again for coming on the show. Um, and this is going to be, I think this is going to be great. Um, you've had a very long and great career to date. Um, the air force, has tagged you with an incredible leadership opportunity to be here as the vice wing commander. And you, your career has largely been built within the framework of a male dominated um, military, frankly. Um, and I just wanted to pass a few stats on before we, before we actually start the conversation. Um, I, I mentioned about it being predominantly male. The air force has the highest female representation of all, all service branches at just just about 20%. But that still means that four males are there for every female. Service women are 28% likely to leave the service than their male counterparts. So that goes into a little bit of retention that I'd like to touch on um, a little bit later. From fiscal year 2004 to 2018, promotion rates for female active duty service members were slightly lower among the enlisted ranks in most years, but higher for officers as compared to their male counterparts. And then females leaving the service stated there were few senior female enlisted and officer personnel to serve as mentors. And so I want to talk a little bit about mentors okay. uh, when, we, when we go through that too. So some interesting statistics to get us started. Um, and as I look through some of the questions to talk about, you know, did you ever feel like you had to be someone you're not in order to be accepted in a male dominated service? No, I mean, I, I consider myself fortunate. I, I can honestly say I don't I don't feel like at any point in my career that I was like, man, I really need to prove myself as a woman in order to get respect. Um, I definitely find that fortunate for me because I, I know it does happen. 
um, out there. I don't think it's the norm, but it's certainly out there and it's something that we need to talk about and address. Um, I feel like, you know, when I was when I was in ROTC at Ohio State, I was the only female in my class. Um, but I, I felt like, I don't want to say I was one of the boys, but they treated me as a peer. Like we were all in it together. So it really started at that at that early level. And then ever since I came in as a lieutenant until where I am now, um, you know, it might have something to do with my particular career field. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm a personnelist by trade. Um, I, I think that particular career field has a higher number of females than some other uh, AFSCs. So that could potentially uh, be be maybe a discriminator. I don't know. You know, maybe my counterparts in other AFSCs that are more male dominated or, you know, maybe in the flying community. I, I would imagine that these kinds of things happen more in certain career fields. It's just a dynamic of what that AFSC is made up of. Right. Um, but again, you know, me, me personally, I have never had that I was aware of that, that I had to prove myself. Um, I've always felt like a, a part of the team and I've always felt supported when I was in those leadership roles. I never felt like I had to work harder to prove myself to the subordinates that, Hey, you're a leader. Um, but we need you to perform a different way just to prove that you can, you can hang with the right. boys. I think to some degree you're onto something when we talk about the mission support career fields. I, I would argue that there are probably a higher percentage of women that are inside those various mission support career fields. You know, force support absolutely is one of them where I've seen a majority of the women. Um, even as a civil engineer, I've seen a lot of women that was higher than 20% than what the statistic was that I just read. Um, and I agree. I I think... I think naturally through your career, you know, you mentioned being one of the guys. Um, I think that just naturally happens in some of these career fields where you're just looked at as an airman and you are given some leadership opportunities at a younger rank than maybe in some of the other, um, maybe some of the other career fields, like maybe the flying community or uh, special ops or whatever those other communities are that are mostly male uh, in the populations. I mean, do you have any right. thoughts on that? No, absolutely. I mean, as a as a brand new second lieutenant, my first assignment was at a is at a fighter squad or a, I'm sorry, a flying uh, wing. It was the first fighter wing, so Langley Air Force Base, and I was the squadron section commander in an aircraft maintenance unit. So the aircraft maintenance is a more significantly male dominated career field, and here I am as our butter bar um, thrust into this leadership role immediately i mean and so i i had that leadership the challenges that come with that and the ability to prove myself um and it was an awesome assignment Mm -hmm. i learned so much in just those those first three years of my career just because i was placed in those leadership roles i bonded with my squadron mates who had a totally different afsc than i did they're wearing coveralls because they're covered in grease because i had to walk through the engine shop just to get to my office but at the end of the day i wouldn't change a thing. Mm-hmm. I, I absolutely loved it. I loved the smell of the fuel. I loved the sound of the jets at the end of the runway. And I loved being able to learn from those airmen and senior NCOs and officers that were in those leadership roles that were um, higher in grade than me. And just learning a different spin on, there's, there's more AFSCs, right? Just learning about the aircraft maintenance community and how critical their role is in getting those jets when you saw them fly off. And I think my ability to just conversate with these people, 
um, and tell them about where I come from and what I expect, there was just an instant bond of, I'm going to tell you who I am, and this is my leadership role. And I think they respected that. Yeah. Um, and I think if you just look people in the eye and talk to them, that's what wins them over. You don't have to be something that you're not. You don't have to prove yourself. Just be you. And that's what I did when I walked in. Um, and it was an incredible leadership experience and just overall Air Force experience. That yeah. To this day, I, it's it's one of my favorite assignments. Yeah. So what I'm hearing you say really is um, – you get, you feel like maybe uh, you haven't had to necessarily prove yourself as a woman necessarily as much as you've just had to prove yourself as a leader airman. Yeah, that's right. Those words. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I should be held to the same standards as you. You and I are both leaders in this air force. I just happen to be female. Right? Yeah. It's just, just one of those things. But we lead the same way. We expect the same things. Um, it should be no different. Yeah. Great conversation so far. Can you talk just a little bit about what your views are with women in combat, and in particular, the frontline women, the, the, the women that may have to do something physical? Sure. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so I kind of look at it as, you know, we mentioned um, the roles in, you know, infantry and, and certain combat control and PJs and those kinds of roles um, in all of the services, Navy SEALs, fighter pilots, um, you know, we send female fighter pilots into battle. Um, we may not be going air to air at the moment, but they certainly could and they certainly get shot at. Um, so I don't view that any differently. As far as being on the front lines, is there a place for them? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But because of that role and what they are expected to do, you know, you're looking at the teammates next to you and everybody has to pull their own weight. And I mean that literally. So in the heat of battle, if something happens and someone goes down, you know, can you pull that body to safety or, you know, I look at me and I can't, I'm not sure I could pull you out of safety, which is why I don't choose that role. Right. Um, but I feel like if you have that desired, like part of that kind of job, you have to want to do that job. That's one of those things that you don't just like, okay, this is where you're going to go. And you're like, okay, whatever. You can't be blase about it. You have to want to do it mm -hmm. because it could be a matter of life and death, your own and the people standing next to you. So for women who want to be in that role, um, absolutely, if you have that desire. But I really do feel like there is a physical aspect to that that is absolutely required. And so I know the Army and the Marines, uh, I think the Navy is doing this as well. They, they've looked at, if not already implemented, gender norming on their PT standards right. for those particular MOSs and AFSCs. And I think that's the right answer because if, if I'm going to go into combat, um, I should be held to the same standards as you right. when it comes to the physicality of it, just because it could mean life or death. If you're shot in the leg and you're starting to bleed out and I'm the only one and I can't drag you to safety, whereas someone who's bigger and stronger can, then that means your life is now in jeopardy because I couldn't be to the same standard. So um, is it a, a higher disqualification for females because females typically aren't as physically strong as a male? Sure. But that doesn't mean they don't exist. There are plenty of women right. out there who want to do it and can absolutely meet those standards. And if they can, by all means, they should have that opportunity um, because I don't think their level of ability or desire. Um, you want somebody who wants to be there and who can right. do the job. And if the, the women have proven themselves, then that's right. there's no reason why they shouldn't. That's right. If they meet the same standards, then they should be able to be there. But if they can't, then just like... Just like any standard, if, yeah. if the individual 
can't meet it, then I'm sorry. You know, we'll find another we'll find another way for you to serve. Right. Do you you mentioned the word mentors? Do you feel like in your career to date that you've had um, the right mentors in place to get you to the position where you're sitting right now? I I have. So I kind of had two two flavors. Again, going back to when I was in the maintenance squadron as a as a butter bar. Um, I had three mentors there. Two of them knew it. Two of them, or one of them, did, probably doesn't know unless she watches this goose view. Um, the first one was the first sergeant of the squadron. So as a section commander, the first sergeant are like two peas in a pod. Um, Master Sergeant, now retired, uh, Robin Ives. Um, I learned so much from her because she picked me up and took me under her wing. You always hear the stories of, you know, listen to your senior NCOs, but it, you're really dependent on are those senior NCOs willing to take you under the wing? And then is that lieutenant willing to listen? So she and I had a great relationship and I looked up to her. You know, she was about ready to retire, but she had 20 plus years of service. Mm -hmm. I'd be a fool not to listen to her. So she was my first mentor. And then um, there was a senior mass sergeant. She ended up retiring as a chief, um, Karen Boatwright. And she was in the uh, PML squadron, or I'm sorry, the PML uh, flight, which is uh, part of the maintenance squadron. And she was quick to call me out when I made a mistake. Um, and she and I had lots of conversations where she's like, uh, LT, you, you kind of screwed that one up. Uh -huh. and, and I listened to her, and she helped shape and mold me as well. So those two were literally my first first mentors. Um, and, then, and then the third one in that early career was, at the time, the MSS commander. It used to be MSS versus FSS. Mm -hmm. um, then Lieutenant Colonel Marianne Williams. She was the MSS commander at Langley. And her husband um, was one of the fighter squadron commanders at the same time. And I remember at her change of command ceremony during her speech, she had said, my kids are proud that their mama wears combat boots. And it just resonated because um, I was like, that was really cool. Yeah. And I also looked at her and I said, okay, so she's a squadron commander and she's married to another squadron commander. And, you know, I'm dual military. My husband's an intel officer. And here we are, two lieutenants. And I could see that representation and say... 15 years from now, that could be us. Right. And and it was. Like, my husband and I were able to command at the same time. So she never she never knew she was a mentor, and I never, like, reached out to her multiple times after that. But just by her being the leader that she was, the style she had, I could see people respond to her style. Like, she was effective, right, and she was respected. Um, and just her being her in those shoes made her a mentor to me because I was able to look and go, that could be me one day. Right. And that's what I want to do. Right. Yeah. And then later in my career, I, you know, I had um, other mentors that were more in that senior role. So um, I will say when I was at the air staff as a senior captain, um, awesome opportunity to, to have mentors like Major General Peggy Poor, uh, Colonel Retired, now SES Kim Tony, who's at AFPC. Um, they were huge mentors of mine. As soon as they found out I was a personnelist, they kind of scooped me up. Yes. And over the years, they've been in touch. Every assignment that I've had, just being connected. Remaining in touch. Absolutely. Yeah. And and, and at a phone call's notice, I could call them at any time. Um, I didn't because they're busy, but I knew I had that opportunity if I needed a question. Right. They were the ones to ask. And then my last one was Colonel Thelma Hale. She was the PAC FA1 at the time. Uh, she was also married to another military most of her career, and then he, he ended up retiring, and, and then she you know, became colonel and was sitting there. And, again, I'm able to 
have a conversation with her. And, and we didn't, none of these mentors ever talked to me and said, okay, we never talked about being a female. It just wasn't discussed. We just talked about, here's how you be a successful leader. Right. Which I thought was really cool. We, I mean, you understood just having them be in those roles and having a conversation and teaching me made them mentors and made me realize that could be me one day. And that's always what I strived. And I cherry picked little pieces of what each one of them were about. And that kind of built who I am today. And I don't want to to um, gloss over the fact that I had some significant male mentors as well mm -hmm. because they looked at me not as a female, but they looked at me as here's this junior officer that could be somebody and they're on their way out. So it's better to shape and mold the up and comings, um, take what they've learned and mistakes that they've made and say, hey, these are the things that you need to do to be successful and that you can be better than me. So, right. um, you know, General Mosley, General Twitchell and, and General Jones, they're all important people of my family mm -hmm. and, and, and mentors to this day. I, I can reach to them even today and I have. Right. Um, so I've been blessed with some incredible mentors. I've had some strong female mentors, which is critical. But I also want women to know it's okay to have a male mentor as well because mentorship is mentorship and it's all important. That's right. I will tell you um, one name that we talked about upstairs uh, General Robinson, who um, I was fortunate when I um, did my um, did I when I did IDE, we did a fellowship up here in the D.C. area, and she was the mentor for our class. And I just appreciated her being an airman first and foremost, yep. and a leader, someone who was willing to objectively and unemotionally lead. That's what I saw. I just saw a, 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 a straight leader, yep. you know? And um, so like you, I've had many mentors in my past um, that are both male and female. I just feel like I appreciate the different skills and attributes uh, that I think, frankly, um, that a lot of the women have taught me. I think, you know, even, um, even my own spouse, you know, She's a fantastic leader in her own right as a squadron commander, um, as an airman, um, as a leader. And what I've learned watching that is an even-keeled demeanor that is objective in nature. And I've tried to emulate that a lot. Um, and I, I don't know, I don't know if maybe it's because you guys are the ones who are, uh, you know, raising the children too. So you learn to just be calm, you know, for the most part. And and I don't know. I, I can be emotional at times, up and down. You've seen me in the office. But I really do try to emulate those skill sets and that multi-disciplining uh, that I see women do all the time. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things that, um, you know, if we're trying to have each other look at each other as peers and not separate the male versus female, um, what, you, what you just hit on I think is important especially when you have not just mill to mill, but just dual professionals, right? So I think today we have a higher percentage of just dual professionals mm -hmm. where the spouse works too, and that spouse could be male or female, right? Um, eliminating that expectation that if you have kids and the kiddo is, is got to stay home sick, that you just don't defer to the female member right. of the service, right? Um, my husband and I, we had this deal set up, especially while we were both in squadron command, that we'd take turns. Like if he was, had to stay homesick and I got this round and then the next time he has to stay homesick, then you got it. I mean, unless some crazy meeting, you know, something significant event was happening that was unavoidable. 
but we just kind of went into it with this we're in this together kind of thing this this equal shared <clears throat> so you know i encourage uh, males who are in the military if you have kiddos and your kids homesick even if your spouse stays at home call in and say hey i'm going to stay home with my sick kiddo you know why because it eliminates that that visual of just the female or hey i'm my wife is at home she's a stay-at-home mom so therefore whenever the kiddo's sick i can automatically come to work right don't look at it that way say no i'm going to go home boss my kiddo's sick and i'm going to go home and help because there's things that happen things that need to be taking place at home anyway like whether it be cooking the food or laundry or just household chores those don't go away so when the kiddo is homesick if the mother is home, none of that other stuff is happening. So just by you being home and offering to do that, without even being asked to do that, mm-hmm. just do it, right? It's no shame in that. And you shouldn't be expected that, oh, because I have a caretaker at the house, therefore I can work. We need to flip that and say, nope, you're all in it together. Um, and you tackle the family aspect of things as one. Those are the kinds of things that helps kind of break down that stereotype kind of behavior kind yes. of thing. Yep. Do you think our Air Force is doing enough um, in this realm to to provide more diversity to our overall thinking as we problem solve and as we develop new policy? Do you think we're doing enough to include women into that? Um, and, and if if so, can you can you provide examples of where we're doing some great things? But then maybe if not, where you think that we might be able to do more inclusion and more diversity into that Uh, with women in particular? Sure. You can never do too much, really, uh, in my opinion. But I think the Air Force has done an excellent job to this point. Certainly now, as you look back over the years, you know, when I was a lieutenant, assignments were were very vacuumed, right? The, The personnel center did it. You didn't get to input comments into the system. It just it just happened, right? You kind of had like a dream sheet, but right. you didn't get to say why you wanted to go this route. Well, now they do, both males and females. So you can go in the system and say, I don't want to have this assignment, or can I please skip this assignment and stay put because I got a kiddo that's graduating and I don't want him to move, right? Mm-hmm. That's a new thing that wasn't there when, when we were lieutenants, that's right. right? So I think as an Air Force, we're trying to give people a better family voice and that includes both male and female Mm -hmm. so i think that's an important step because now service comes before self got it i mean and and when the when the air force needs come first got it but they're also giving an opportunity hey taking the air force needs if we can facilitate this family need that's going to promote um you know longevity in the service and and willing to stay in because you're working with that whole family dynamic so that i think was important um, just the simple fact that we've, you know, increased paternity leave. That was huge. Right. You know, when, when our son was born, my husband got 10 days. Right. Now they get three weeks. Um, well, could, even now women get longer maternity women, leave. And that's, I, I think that's critical. I mean, that's such an important time when the when the kiddo is born, that bonding session that needs to happen. So giving women longer time, I think, is important just for the body to recover. All pregnancies are different. You know, recovery is different. So that time, I think, is important. Yes. Deferring deployments for a year. I would venture a guess um, that maybe the Air Force should take a look at deferring paternity for a year. Mm-hmm. It's not just the baby bonding with the mother. The father is important as well. And so we've already given the father longer time at home right initially. 
but does the father should should they have to deploy i mean in that one year critical time where everything is so new and just crazy and if you have another sibling oh my gosh you got a two-year-old and a baby like just it's chaos at the house right right so i I feel like the air force should maybe take a look and go yeah maybe we should offer a one-year deferment for new fathers as well right Um, those kinds of things so I feel like the Air Force is definitely in the right direction, and and all of the services are doing these things. So kudos to the whole Department of Defense for making these changes that were not even heard of when I was a lieutenant. You're absolutely right. I think these are like cultural changes, and they have started over the last, you know, they began maybe 15 years ago, 10, 15 years ago, um, as we were trying to take models from different, from industry, frankly, and then incorporate that in. But when you think about a cultural change, it will take 10, 15, 20 years to make it a reality. And I brought up the maternity leave largely um, because I know um, when it first, when when we first started talking about giving longer time for maternity, that's where it started, even mm-hmm. before the paternity. Yep. Um, in my mind, I was very myopic, and I thought, you know, well, why would why do they need much? Why do they need longer? Right? Why does a woman need to be at home longer? And as I've grown and matured in my line of thinking, um, I fully recognize why it needs to be longer now. And I appreciate that. And as a squadron commander, I can plan for that. Sure. Um, and, and I know that I don't have a resource that can, de- that can deploy today, but in a year, she can deploy you know, tomorrow. Yeah. And, um, and there's nothing stopping me from continuing to maintain her overall readiness, right. because if we absolutely needed that resource to go forward, well, then that's why we have family care plans. Right. And I think all of my airmen knew that, um, but it, it just goes back to this cultural change of longer, patern- longer maternity leave, um, paternity leave that's coming in, um, more inclusion and decision-making in the assignments, mm-hmm. like you just said. Mm-hmm. Uh, the ability to defer is awesome. Um, and I, I do appreciate that the Air Force is moving out with many of these programs. Right. It's It's been... Uh, it's been, frankly, a long time coming, but we're going the right direction. I feel like the ship is 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 moving in the right direction. Yeah, absolutely. How do you feel being a mother affects career progression? And and talking about some of those statistics I laid out in the beginning, maybe even some retention yeah. that's in there. And maybe you can give a few re- examples of perhaps where maybe some of your peers, women peers, maybe had some... Um, some challenges in that arena, you know, whether they maybe didn't get quite the OPR they thought because, you know, they were in maternity leave, um, or maybe they just didn't decided to get out. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. I I think everything has to do with timing, right? Sometimes you can, you can time when you're going to have a kid. Sometimes you don't. I mean, it's just totally one of those things that you're, you're trying to balance starting, uh, or maintaining a family and, um, establishing or um, accelerating your career and there's definitely a fine balance between the two and it's going to take some some conversations with with your with your spouse to say okay um, how are we going to do the family thing and then the the career thing mm-hmm. and, and it comes down to choice and, and personal um, desires of what what that family wants going forward um, I mentioned timing you know it if I got pregnant um, and in my 12-month OPR span, if I happen to deliver and now I'm out for six months of that, that's a challenge, right? It's an unfair challenge, but the challenge exists that 
Now my OPR is being rated against my peers within that unit or group or wing. Who've but been there the entire that's year. That's correct. And so for six months, they're basing it off of the first six months. Mm -hmm. Well, you've got a half a year of other things happening that other folks have had. So um, I think that does present a challenge that the, the rater and the senior rater need to take that into account and say, um, but how was she performing those first six months? I mean, she could be just on fire on this glide path and then she shouldn't be penalized for the six months that she happened to be at home recovering. I think you're absolutely right. And the other thing too is, is that I think as a, uh, as a supervisor, we need to respect the fact that mom is jobbing it at home and killing it at home, taking care of a brand new baby. And yeah. so when we think about whole person, um, you know what I mean? Yeah. It all has to be rolled in there right. because, um, gosh, you know, I just, I hate seeing people get left behind simply because, you know, they, they weren't there, right. you know? Yep. Absolutely. So, um, do you have any examples, you know, talking to some of your peers, um, do you have any examples of where it may have come off the rails for them and it affected their retention? Like maybe they made a decision at, you know, the eight, nine, 10, 11 year point to get out because maybe they felt like they weren't being taken care of. Um, you know, certainly talking to younger officers or enlisted, they, they have those concerns. Um, I haven't had one that just said, okay, I'm getting out because I got left behind. Yeah. Um, the conversations are, I'm worried that this could happen. So how do I overcome that or prevent that from happening? Um, but oftentimes the conversations when, when especially a female decides, okay, I'm going to get out, um, often it seemed like it was more surrounding. Um, I've just taken this mother role and the thought of, you know, hey, before children, I was deploy me, send me to Kunsan, I'll do whatever. And then you have a kiddo and it's different, right? Perpe it's not that- Perspective changes. Yeah, life happens, right? And, and, and our family dynamics change and, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And yeah. it doesn't mean you don't love serving in the military any less. You just have another priority that you have to factor in that equation. And sometimes the choice is, I'm gonna give a higher equation to this right. and that's fine. And nobody should be shunned in any way on which way they go because that is what's best for that family. Right. So that's usually where the conversation happens. And sometimes it's the male airman saying the same thing. I don't wanna move my family around every mm -hmm. few years just for the instability that that could cause, right? You, you don't foreshadow what's gonna happen. Um, but you've also heard the stories or, you know, hey, I, we happen to like where we're living and we don't want to move. And th there's just so many factors that play into whether or not an individual decides to stay in or get out. I do feel like in the when it comes to females uh, retention, family seems to be the number one priority, mm -hmm. not because my husband said I got to get out. You know what I mean? It was it was clearly a family decision of what makes the most sense for that family at that, at time. that time. And it's our obligation to ensure that they're set up for success. For That's them. right. Well. You brought up, you, there's a whole bunch layered in there. So I appreciate you mentoring these young uh, women and families to make those decisions. But as leaders, it is now our job to ensure that those conversations are happening um, within the supervisory level yep. also, so that those supervisors understand um, what the expectations are when it comes to fairly evaluating a mother who is out for six months, right? Right. right. Um, and I think that's still a hurdle personally. I think that's still a hurdle that a number of our supervisors need to understand better. 
um, to be able to get over it and continue this cultural change right. that we are making um, as an Air Force and as a Department of Defense right. when it comes to uh, taking these things into account. Yep, absolutely. So thanks for that. I appreciate it. Um, so just as we get ready to wrap this up, um, I just wanted to throw out there, you know, for, for all the women, there are a number of different resources that are available uh, that they can tap into. Um, there's professional development, and really what I'm getting at with, is the professional development for leadership. And so there's something called OWLS, which is the Officer Women Leadership Symposium. Uh, there's the Department of the Air Force's Women's Leadership Symposium. There's the Joint Women's Leadership Symposium also. And then what I recommend too is just finding good mentors to reach out to. And they don't, as we talked about, they don't all have to be women. Mm -hmm. um, if you find, you know, just a good airman, a good leader, let's have those conversations. Like let's, let's, let's uh, link you guys up and, and have those tough, tough talks and those conversations so that we can fully develop them, our airmen to the fullest potential that they have yeah, as leaders. And so um, as always, when it comes to these, this, these discussions that we're having, I highly encourage our workforce inside the units to get together and have talks about this over lunch, brown bags. Um, and it's not, just, it's not just our airmen. I mean, it is our civilians. Because yep. um, I want to retain those awesome civilians that we have. Yep. You know, it's the same conversation. So bring in the entire unit and have these, have these tough talks and continue those um, as we move forward. So... Thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate it. Um, I do want to continue this conversation, and I want—I I think what I'd like to do is maybe bring in um, some airmen for the next for the next tough talk on this topic. Yep, absolutely. So that we can get their perspective, and perhaps you can lead them through that. Sure, that'd be awesome. You bet. So, all right, guys, thank you very much for tuning in, um, and we look forward to the next topic that we have.